The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, family. Uh, we are reading from Acts 8, 4 through 40, on page 1099 of your Bibles. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For what shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they may receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the lane on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. 
As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. Well, as Liv said, my name is Blake. So now you know my name and you know who I'm married to, but uh, why am I teaching? Those aren't really qualifications for you know, being up on a platform. Um, I was formerly the director of worship and administration for us here at Gallery Church, and in January, took a step back, and actually Liv took a step forward to take that role, well, uh, we could just make some preparations for me to attend seminary this fall. So if you didn't know that, that's what's happening. That's why I've been a little bit in a different role here at Gallery Church and what we're working towards. And the program that I'm preparing for is a community engagement fellowship at Wesley Seminary in D.C., where I hope to learn skills and tools required to help us as a church family really know how to like, reach out to our neighbors how to practically make a difference here in Baltimore. That's always been our heart, is to live intentionally among our neighbors here at Gallery Church. But I, I, I hope to help us grow in that. So we're setting ourselves up for a journey over the next four years to learn and grow and hopefully use some of those tools as a church family. And so I'm really excited to get to talk about these scriptures um, because I feel like it aligns a lot with where I'm going in my own life and where I hope we can go as a church family. So we as a church have most recently, just before we started this series in Acts, walked through the book of Matthew. We focused on the life of Jesus, on what he was doing, on how uh, his life impacted the world around him. We, We learned about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and how that impacted the world, especially a group of 12 guys who followed him closely and intimately. And then He rises from the grave and they become the apostles. They become the the beginnings of the early church. And we've, we've now jumped into the book of Acts. We're reading about this early church. We're learning about the beginnings of of what we are 2,000 years later still a part of. And it's been a really exciting, challenging journey so far through the book of Acts, looking at how this small group of 12 became what is now millions, billions of people across the world. We read about Jesus' ascension, where not only did he resurrect from the grave, but he walked for what's recorded as about 40 days among the early apostles and disciples, teaching them about the scriptures, unveiling the work that he was doing among them. And all of a sudden, he, he meets with them, he gives them a charge, and then floats, as Ellis said when he taught it, up into the sky. And they just stand there and look, and the angels say, why are you standing and looking? You have work to do. Go, wait, pray, wait for the Holy Spirit to come and empower you to do the work that you've been called to do. So we read about the story of Pentecost, how the Spirit falls on the early apostles. They recognize this power that's alive in them. Thousands are added to their number daily, and we see none of them having need among them. Later on in the story, we read about how they're proclaiming this good news about Jesus. The Jewish rulers are kind of trying to stifle this. They're trying to keep this news from getting out about the good news of Christ, of what Jesus has done in the world around them. But they keep telling the story nonetheless. And along the journey, they start to, as more and more people keep getting added from different 
branches of Judaism. We have the Hellenistic and the historic Jews, and some of them are feeling tension among how the poor are being served among them, so they wisely decide, let's nominate people to take care of this work. And we read about the seven. One of those seven, we just read about the story of Stephen. His name is Stephen. The qualifications of these seven were simply that they were uh, full of the Spirit of God and full of wisdom. Stephen, one of these men, is put in a position where he, he offers this long story and narrative about what God has been doing among the Jews across the span of history and how they're missing the point in history where they are. And he's martyred for his boldness, his braveness, his ability to say, you stiff-necked and hard-hearted people, you're missing the work that God is doing among you. And immediately after that, we start to see the church spread. Persecution is happening, and the people are just scattering everywhere to try to avoid the same fate as Stephen, but yet some pretty amazing things start happening. This could have been one of the bleakest points in the church's history, but what we see is something miraculous. Even amongst great oppression and persecution, something truly amazing happens. So let's dive into the scripture that Ike read for us and see just what that is. I find two amazing things about this persecution. We're reading about how Paul, in the, in the last section of scripture that we read, if you just flip back in your Bibles, just a couple of pages, you see that Saul is the one who's spearheading the persecution of the church. First of all, I think it's amazing that persecution is the vehicle that is being used for the, the promise of God to be fulfilled. Do you recognize that? In Acts 1.8, the charge that Jesus gives to his disciples is, be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Until now in the story, it's been all about Jerusalem. All the action has been going down in the major city of the Jewish culture. But persecution begins. Something challenging starts. And the gospel begins to spread. The good news is scattered about Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's the beginning of the promise that Jesus had already made, but it's coming in a way that seems counter to our own logic. I also find it crazy that the one who's leading this persecution will eventually become one of the greatest champions of the Christian faith. Amen. One of the authors of over half of the books of the New Testament. His name will later change to Paul. I could talk forever about Paul, though he's such an amazing character, but we're going to get to him later. But just keep that in mind. Persecution. Persecution can seem like an end to many of us. Challenges can seem like a roadblock to many of us. People who are doing the persecution against us can seem like enemies. People who we should be opposed and, and set against. But really, there are always opportunities. The persecution itself is not an end, but an opportunity. And the people who may be persecuting us are not our enemies, but could one day become our dearest brothers and sisters. And we see this in the story of Philip. We're reading about... Well, yeah, before I get too far ahead of myself, in the very first verse that we read, we see that the, these disciples, as they're being scattered, are still preaching the word wherever they went. Question for you. When we hear the phrase, the word, what do we often think? The Bible. The Bible. What, what was something else? Jesus. Cool. Anything else? Any other ideas? What does the word tend to mean? 
okay, cool. Those are really, those are really great ideas, and, and they do apply to us in modern faith. We think about that. We hear the word, we think of the scriptures. We hear the word, we think of Jesus, the logos, the way. But I think in this, in this context, if you sneak ahead to verse 12, the thing that these people are preaching, as we see in the story of Philip, they're preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. The word does mean the way of Christ. The word does mean the Bible in our modern context. But in this piece of scripture, I think where we see the word, they're preaching this bold, audacious, challenging message that the kingdom of God is here. There's a new king on the throne. And that king is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior and restorer of all the earth. This is a dangerous message in this day and age, in the day and age of this scripture. They're in the Roman Empire. Caesar was the one who was Lord in the Roman Empire. There was no one who could challenge that. Anyone who was heard challenging that would be put to death. But what these Christians are saying is, no, God is king. We see this through Jesus the Christ. God is king. God is here. God is now Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. They're changing the paradigm of the culture around them through what they're teaching. And I think as we dive into the story of Philip, we see just one person's example, perhaps just a small microscopic view of what's happening with all of these other apostles and disciples who are being scattered across the world. Philip was one of the, sevens that, the seven that we talked about that were appointed in Acts 6. Also Stephen. He was one of those men who was known to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. And he was appointed to care for widows, which in that context meant people who were poor, people who were outcasted, people who didn't have others to stand for them. He was an advocate for others who needed an advocate. And the mission that he's on, he's just continuing what he was appointed for in the first place. Why, why, why do I say that? Because one of the first context clues we're given is that Philip is teaching in Samaria. Do you know what kind of people the Samaritans were to the Jewish culture? Enemies. They were like their closest and like most hated enemies. They despised the Samaritans. The history there is that uh, along the, the Hebrew story, uh, they, the nation was split so many times. People were scattered very similarly as what's happening in this New Testament story. But the bloodline to Hebrews was crucial, yet Jews would mix with other races and cultures in the land, and they became Samaritans, the land of Samaria. They still, though, worshipped what they thought was the same God. They were Yahweh worshippers. But they weren't permitted in the Hebrew temple because of their uncleanness. Yet they longed to worship God alongside their Hebrew Jewish brothers and sisters. So they built their own temple. They tried to worship God in their own ways, in their own lands. And it got to the point where uh, there's a story recorded where Samaritans came into the Jewish temple one day and scattered bones and body parts around it to, de to desecrate it. To say, you're calling us unclean? Well, let me make your temple unclean because you're not letting us worship with you. So they, they, they met eye for eye in their minds. They, they combated rather than... It was, you feel the tension, right? There was so much angst between these people groups. 
But along Jesus' own charge in Acts 1.8, go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the closest geographical land to Jerusalem, but yet perhaps the farthest cultural difference between these two people. Yet Philip's doing it. Philip is serving and teaching a people group that was outcasted to the Jewish people. A people group who was kept at an arm's length that was warred against, hated. But what we see is these Samaritans hear a message and they see signs. They hear this message that, look, the kingdom is here and it's for you as well. This is enormous. This is completely groundbreaking. They had been unwelcome to worship God, and now Philip's saying, God is with you. God is here. Christ is Lord. There's a new king on the throne. There's a new king who's leading us into this kingdom. Follow. You're welcome. Come and join us. And I think this shows us two really significant things, that how we talk about Christ matters. The things we say about Christ matters dearly. Are we proclaiming freedom? Are we proclaiming restoration? Are we proclaiming resurrection? I think that's the message that Philip is embodying. There's a new king. His name is Christ. Let me tell you the story about Christ. But not only is he telling a story, he's displaying Christ. He's extending an arm. He's, he's among the Samaritan people. He is saying, God loves you. The same God of you, who you've been seeking to worship is here for you. And let me be with you as you seek to follow him. It's huge. A Jewish man among Samaritan people spreading this story. I think when we talk about how we talk about Christ, we tend to feel like, I know I have felt this way, that I, don't, I just don't know enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know the Bible inside and out. But I don't, I mean, what we just talked about is they didn't even have the Bible in this day and age. They had their own experience. They had how Christ had changed their lives. They had first contact with a dead, buried, resurrected king who ascended into heaven and gave them a message. That's all they were talking about. They didn't have... Uh, Hebrews 1.8 memorized, or, you know, Philippians 1, or like any of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. They didn't know all these passages about love buried in their deep pockets. They just told their story about Christ and how he changed their lives. You don't have to be a genius in scripture or theology to talk about how Christ has impacted your life. That's the message you need to become an expert in. Christ has done this for me. Maybe he could do this for you too. And secondly, he displays Christ in crazy cool ways with shrieks, impure spirits are coming out of people. And many who are paralyzed or lame become healed. To me, this is also really challenging. I have longed for my 29 years of life to see something miraculous happen in that sort of way. God hasn't given me that opportunity, but I don't think that that stuff isn't happening in our world today. I believe that the Holy Spirit can move in that way, that the Holy Spirit is moving in that way. I have seen and heard stories of people being healed. We've prayed for people in this very room who have been healed, but we've also prayed for people who haven't. So it's this tough tension that we wrestle in. But am I going to stop praying for the Holy Spirit to move in that way? No. Am I going to stop trying to see God move in that way, trying to be one who brings God's movement in that way? No. 
But I also don't think that it all has to happen in these big, miraculous, wondrous ways. I think that we can display Christ in just the way we live among one another. The fact that Philip was walking openly among Samaritan people, welcoming them in, loving them well, teaching this message regardless of who they were, it was changing their their minds and eyes about what God was doing among them. Just being a loving person. I think the signs that help to show Christ can simply be a community of people living in peace with no needy persons among them. That's a very tangible and simple thing, but it's totally countercultural in our day and age. A community that embraces one another, that walks with one another, despite our differences, despite our, our challenges uh, in understanding or in culture, we love one another and we seek to have no needy person among us. Those are things that we can accomplish in our day and age. And maybe through that we can also see lame people being healed, healed blind people seeing, mute people speaking. It could happen in our day and age, church. Do we believe in that? Are we willing to put ourselves out there to see that happen? And I think a litmus test for us to see how we're on the right track is what's recorded in verse 8 of this chapter. There was great joy in that city. Our city means great joy. Our city mourns uh, daily. There's literally widows wailing in the streets for the deaths of their children daily. And I think a litmus test for us is to see how are we bringing great joy to the city of Baltimore. So as we hear about Philip and what he's doing in just these first few verses, there's this story in the middle of this text about Simon the sorcerer, and it's sort of a a juxtaposition of two different characters. We see with uh, Philip, he's telling the story. He's displaying pretty wondrous and amazing signs. And against Simon, we see someone who was attributed as the great power of God. This is how the people perceived Simon. But Simon seemed to boast about himself. He, he embraced this title. Yes, I am the great power of God. I'm a, a sorcerer, a magician. A, I perform miraculous signs. But yet his heart wasn't in the right place. Yet with Philip... He, still, he did amazing things in the power of God, but he didn't boast. There's no record of him saying, this is me. All of it pointed toward God and God's glory and what God was doing. But I think as Jesus proclaimed this good news about the... Or I'm sorry, as Philip proclaimed this good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Christ, still good things were happening in the story of Simon. We see that as Philip continued to do this, men, women, and even Simon himself were baptized into the way of Christ. They became followers, disciples of the way. This is a way of them embracing the message, marking themselves as saying, we're going to follow as you've been teaching us to follow. Yet, even Simon, these men and women who were baptized, had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John come down to pray for them. The Spirit comes And we see Simon say, give me this power. You laid your hands on people, and they became filled with the Holy Spirit. So let me give you money to get that same power. And that is the the clearest sign of the difference between Philip and Simon. He thinks that God is to be bought. He thinks that the Holy Spirit is a power to be used for his own gain. This isn't the case. The Holy Spirit is not a power for us to use for our own gain. But 
the Holy Spirit is who guides us as we seek to follow and obey the will of Christ our Lord. And I think it's important for us to note, and this is only something that you as an individual can answer. In this journey, Philip's teaching and showing these wondrous signs, and people are being baptized, and that's something to celebrate, is someone going down in the water saying, I I join the story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. That's a great thing, but there's a, a next step. There's more that comes when the Holy Spirit fills us, when we wake up to the Holy Spirit that's alive within us. Where are you in that? Have you been baptized? Have you said, yeah, I'm following Christ. I am going to take on the mark of Christ. I'm going to take on the death and the burial and the resurrection. I'm going to trust that anything that dies can be brought to life. I'm going to embody that in my own way of living. And I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are you in that journey? I think as we grow... In the Lord, the Holy Spirit does begin to open us up to new possibilities, but we must remember, never for our own gain, never for our glory, only for the Lord's, only for the kingdom, only for the sake of the name of Jesus the Christ, our Lord, do we do anything in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wish there was more about Simon, because he he goes to Peter and John, he asks for this power, you want to trust that his motives are pure, and all they say is, repent. You know, they say, no, you can't. Because you sought this for your own gain, may your money perish with you. You have no part in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. But they give him the chance to repent, even though they see he's full of bitterness, captive to sin. Simon's only answer is, pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. This is, this is just me expounding upon the text a little. I just wonder what Simon did, how he responded. Did he take that invitation to repent? Because that's the same invitation for us. As we grow in the Holy Spirit, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things for, I mean, we're human, you know. We're going to do things for our own glory. We're going to wrestle with pride and greed. We're going to wrestle with anger and avarice. We're going to wrestle with our own sinfulness. But there's always the opportunity to repent. We don't get to find out whether or not Simon did that, but that invitation is extended to us as we walk along the journey. We're never going to be fully perfect until the kingdom is fully realized here on earth and in heaven. But as we go along the way, we can always come back to what God's doing. And we see even Peter and John as they go back to Jerusalem, walking among this despised group of people, the Samaritans, preaching the good news of Christ. The kingdom of God is here, and Christ is Lord. And so on the bookends of the story of Simon, we see another interaction with an Ethiopian eunuch. This is a fun thing to talk about. (laughs) When we hear the word eunuch, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is someone who's been castrated, and that's literally the case in this context. Why does that happen in, in this in this culture, well, I mean, this is a, a male figure who's a trusted official of a queen. I don't need to say more about why he was castrated. A king put this person in trust to walk with a queen. So they remove any chance of the royal bloodline being tainted or changed. Yeah. I just, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to go down that road. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, let's leave that one. Um, but it also was sometimes just a colloquial phrase for saying an elected official. It didn't always mean the power being removed, but oftentimes it did. And in this case, it did. Why do I say that? It's obvious because of the queen situation, but also we read about at the beginning of this story the Samaritan people. Eunuchs were not permitted to be full members in the Jewish faith. It was an, a sign of uncleanness in the Jewish law. But this man longed also to worship God. We see in this story he's coming back from Jerusalem, having visited the temple. If you don't know this about the temple, there's this, the, the Holy of Holies, there's the inner court, there's the, the porch or the colonnade, and there's all these surrounding... It's, it's a huge... Ellis has always told us that it's... Imagine MNC Bank and Camden Yards, that whole complex being put into one space. That's the temple. It's enormous. But in, Simon, or in Solomon's colony, that's where Gentiles were allowed to come and worship God. They were allowed to be present within part of the temple, but they, couldn't, they weren't allowed full access to God. So it's obvious in the story, Philip is meeting again with someone who is considered unclean, not allowed to become a full member in the, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish law. And I think it's important to note how this happens. He's led by the Holy Spirit, and he runs up to a horse-drawn chariot. I'm not a very fast runner myself. I can't imagine somebody running up to a horse-drawn chariot. He's empowered. He's called and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something, and he obeys. He doesn't go, I can't run that fast. Are you kidding me, Holy Spirit? Like, that thing's gone. I'm not going to try to catch up to that. He does it. He runs up to a chariot, and he begins listening to this man reading from the Hebrew Scriptures. Coincidence? I think not. This is an amazing story. He's, he gets a nudge from God, and he goes with it. And he hears someone reading from a book that he knew dearly. The, the prophet Isaiah was such an, a crucial book to the early Hebrews of their restoration, of God's kingdom coming, of a promised Savior, of what Jesus came to do. He knew this book, and he just happens to stumble across a guy who's reading from a central passage that relates so plainly to the story of Christ. Let me read from verse 32 in chapter 8 of Acts. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. As the eunuch asks, is this about the prophet or is this about someone else? And what does Philip do? He says it's about someone else. And let me tell you who that someone else is. From a tiny little piece of a huge book of Hebrew scripture, from the giant collection of Hebrew scripture, Philip is able to say, let me show you Christ through this. Let me tell you about someone who took injustice upon himself. Let me tell you about someone who didn't try to fight the authorities who were pressing against him, but died a shameful death. But I can dream and and imagine just how far Philip went to say, but that wasn't the end. Let me tell you that this one did die in this way, that the Christ did take our transgressions upon himself in a silent and shameful manner, but it wasn't the end. It was not the end. This Christ rose from the grave as was promised. This Christ called me to follow and carry his story. And now I want to invite you into the same story. Sure, I'm expounding again on the text. 
I'm, I'm imagining just how far this story would have gone. But I mean, that's what we see. Philip begins with that very passage and tells him the good news about Jesus. And look what happens. The eunuch responds, what's keeping me from being baptized? I want to embrace this journey of Christ too. I want to walk in this way now as well. And they do. They, go, they find the next body of water. We have this lovely little horse trough in the back that we sometimes fill up with water. It's not always available to us, but they don't hesitate. If, if there's anyone among us who wants to be baptized, we can fill that thing up in a matter of minutes. Like, we, we have sinks. We have water everywhere in this building. Like, we can access water and get people baptized like that. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It's great when it's something that we can celebrate with one another and plan ahead for and make a big deal of it because it's a huge step. But when someone wants to follow Christ, we don't need pomp and circumstance to welcome them into the family. We need to say, come and follow, and let me give you the first step. Embrace the story. Take this mark of Christ upon you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I think it's crazy that right after this happens, I just I, I want to talk about this story. Philip, Ethiopian guy, into the water, up, poof, gone. Imagine being that Ethiopian dude. <laughs> And, and it says in the scriptures that he gets up and he starts rejoicing. If I had just been put into the water by somebody and came out of it and that guy was gone, I don't think rejoicing would have been my first response. I think losing my mind would have been my first response. But this guy recognizes there's powerful things happening in the name of Christ right now. I've been welcomed into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus by a powerful man who is simply full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom who is seeking to love the poor, the outcast, and the pushed aside. That's Philip. That's the seven. That's Stephen. And just think about this. Like This man just witnessed one of his closest friends stoned to death. And he's in Ethiopia, on the way to Ethiopia, by the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's performing signs and wonders, just because God's telling him to do it. He has no agenda. He has no, this is, this is what I'm going to do and nothing can change that. He's just saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. So I'm not saying that in our access to water, I'm not saying that we go and start dunking people in the inner harbor and expect to be <laughs> transported to Philadelphia out of nowhere. That's not what I'm encouraging us all to do. But what I'm saying is, are we open to doing that? Are we open to God leading us to say, this person has invited you into their life? I also think that's a really key part of the story of this Ethiopian eunuch. He doesn't just say, knock, 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 let me into your chariot, I'm here to tell you some good news. He walks up beside him, or runs up beside him in some miraculous way, hears the story, and, and waits for an invitation into his space. He's welcomed in because of his love, because of his gentleness, because of his graciousness, because of his ability to run beside a chariot, perhaps. I don't know. But he's invited in. And he tells this man about Christ from this invitation. Who has invited you into their space? Who has given you a window to say, let me tell you and show you about how Christ has worked in my life, and let me show you this love of Christ by how I live? Who has given you that chance? Think about that this week and take a step of acting in that invitation. But just like these two people groups in this story, 
I want us to think long. I want us to think about this. This is this is going to be challenging. I know that, but I want to bring it up as we start to talk talk about how the scripture is to move us forward in this week. Are we open to interactions with other people, especially others who are prejudiced by our own social groups? And within these interactions, are we open to lead people to intimate intimate conversations about Christ? What groups in your culture are, are ones that are held at an arm's length? What groups in your culture are not welcomed in to be full members? Are you open to taking this away and instead having a posture that's open arms? I, I wrestle with this a lot with the family that I came from. The city that I live in is not a welcome place for them. But I love this place. And my heart breaks for people who can't see the beauty in people of color, in people in poverty, um, in people who look different from them. That's the journey that I've had to walk, is how do I, how do I learn to grow in my love of, of people who my family can't see as equal? And now I wrestle with seeing my family as equal because they don't have that love for others. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like As we grow in the love of Christ, we're going to be challenged to push ourselves into situations that those who we've been closest to our whole life are going to wonder, what in the world are you doing? That's what God does. God does not stop extending. God does not stop growing into places and groups of people that need to know that his love is for them, that his kingdom is here, that Christ is the Lord who's going to lead them into this kingdom. So I want to ask you, as we look back on this whole story, just like the early apostles, what challenges are you facing? What persecution are you feeling? I've heard people often liken the persecution in the Far East to people being afraid of losing their jobs because they talk about Christ. I don't think that's, that's an apples and oranges conversation. Persecution is real in this world. There are people who lose their lives for sharing the message of Christ. But the fear that we might lose our job because we share the story of Christ, that's a real fear. And I don't want to say that that's not legitimate. But I want you to feel proud of who you are in Christ. I want you to feel encouraged that there is no challenge or persecution that you face today that cannot be overcome. There is no challenge or persecution that is not an invitation into an opportunity. So wherever you are in that, think about that this week. What am I facing? What persecution am I afraid of or enduring? How can I see it as an opportunity? Do you see your neighborhood having joy because you're there? We're going to do some yard work today because that's not the case for our house. (laughs) We have crazy stuff going on in our life right now and yard work is like the lowest of my priorities. But one of my neighbors really cares about it. You know? (laughs) We live in Edgar Gardens. There's like these beautiful front yard gardens on all the streets in our neighborhood and you come past our house and you see foot-tall grass and crazy mulberry trees growing everywhere. We have a lady who does not like it at all. And I have had hardness in my heart towards her <laughs> because of it. I'm like, I got three kids and I work a full-time crazy job and you don't know what I'm doing with my life. Can you please have some grace for me? But rather than have that posture, maybe I could say, let me take care of my art a little bit because I know it matters to you. You know? That's simple. You know, show love to your neighbors. Be a person who brings joy to your neighborhood. Be someone who, like, takes a step outside of your comfort zone 
who does something that you maybe like, don't like at all to show someone else that they're valuable to you? Are you open to the work of the Holy Spirit? No one can answer that but you. No one can push you into that. You can't. <laughs> you just can't be pushed into that. It's something that you've got to open up your heart for. I think it has to begin with saying, yes, I want to follow this Christ. I want to know this Lord and Savior. I want to tell the story of how this, this God has changed my life and then see how the Holy Spirit's going to move. I, don't, I think in our day and age, the way that the Holy Spirit has always been made plain to me, um, when we read the, the scriptures, in Genesis 1 we're told the spirit of the earth is hovering over the, the surfaces of the deep. In my opinion, the, the Spirit of the Lord has always been everywhere and always in our universe and in our context. I think for us, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awakening. It's an eyes being opened to, wow, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And when we sang that song earlier about the evidence being all around, what I do, I look around this room and I see eyes and, and hearts and bodies and minds and people who are here to follow God. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit moving. I see seven different colors of skin. I see people who love each other despite their differences. I see the Holy Spirit moving in this place. Are you open to that work continuing and maybe pushing us into some places that we never thought we would go? Seeing people healed. Seeing people speaking who could never speak before. Seeing poverty abolished seeing uh, cultures living in peace. That's all work that the Holy Spirit can do and is doing. Are we open to that happening in us? Is, it a, is this going to be from a place of expectation? Are we going to set an agenda for the Holy Spirit's movement? Or is it going to be from a place of freedom, of, Lord, I'll go where you tell me to go? Whether that means moving to Baltimore, staying in Baltimore, going where you're going to send us from Baltimore, are we open? Are we open to witnessing and experiencing things we can't explain, yet we know are possible through the power of God? Are we open to the Spirit's work with full, reckless abandon? So with that, I, I want to invite us to come to the table. We've talked a lot about the story of Christ and the Holy Spirit's movement, and I think all of us coming to the table is a chance to say we're in this together. We are all on this mission of growing in, the, in being part of the kingdom of God and of extending that invitation to others through the Lord Christ. It's what we do. We, we come not ever as one. We are always at the table in a group of people. If you feel left out, um, go and introduce yourself to someone. Or if you see someone who feels left out, introduce yourself to them. Come to the table together. And we ask that you are at least the person who is saying yes to I want to follow Christ. You're here and you're curious about following Christ or you are following Christ. You're welcome at the table. So come. We, we, we take the bread together and we, there are prompts on the table that remind us to say, this is his body broken for you. And then we dip it in a cup and we say, this is his blood of the new covenant which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And we celebrate that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And as we do that, I think today, let's look at one another and realize this means that we're going to walk in the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And if you're feeling challenged or, or desiring to see more of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, I want to invite our elders up to pray um, for our people. I think that um, you are people, our elders, who can lay hands on others, and we can see the movement of the Holy Spirit happening in this place today, people being anointed and baptized into this journey of walking in the Holy Spirit's power. So let me pause and pray for us, and we'll continue with singing. We'll go to the table and we'll pray together. If you don't want to be someone who comes up to pray with someone, look at your neighbor and ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray for whatever God has stirred up in your heart today, all right? So let's respond to what we've heard today. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, alive in this place, we are grateful for what you've done among us. We're grateful that we, we have heard of the good news. That you're alive. That the kingdom is here. And that you are our Lord, Jesus Christ. God, I want to pray for those of us who are still on the fence about diving into that journey. Would you help us to take another step into faith and confidence that you are who you say you are. And Lord, as we do that, would you help us dive deeper into what your Holy Spirit's doing? God, I'm sorry that in some churches we talk about you, the Holy Spirit, as the forgotten member of the Trinity. We skirt around this mysterious topic of who you are and how you move. We ask forgiveness for that for ourselves and our brothers and sisters who, who sometimes see that way. Would you change that perspective? Would you help us welcome you into our lives? Would you give us the freedom to go where you're sending us? The courage to talk to people who we've never felt comfortable talking to before? To go to places that we've been terrified of or, or feel Maybe if if there's a feeling that that place isn't for me, would you help us to change that perspective, to lay our own agendas and preferences aside, to do your will, to do your work, to see your kingdom come and your will be done. God, I just pray that you would move mightily in this room today among my brothers and sisters. I trust that you're doing that now and you'll continue to do it throughout this week. Help us hear stories of joy in this city brought about by the people in this room today. Lord, we love you. And it's in the name of our Lord Jesus the Christ we pray. Amen.